Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction audiobook series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, Robot Overlords, Part 2. was no groan of metal, of course, nor any corresponding shudder or boom as the frame scraped and bounced off the personnel boat's hull. There was no need for it either, as it was happening within full view and at very close proximity to the two workers. Ejok, howling in fear, tried to dodge out of the way, but that wasn't easy in a heavy scale suit. In fact, it was impossible. Helplessly, Yumani witnessed the man stumbling to get clear of the heaving metal skeleton and then get hit full in the back by the very strut he'd just liberated. Knocked off his magnetic feet, he was driven flat as the gyrating pad came down hard once more right on top of him. He let out a single ragged ho and then went silent on the channel, with Yumani screaming the whole time. Thrusters, Beezer, move us clear, move us clear! What's happening? the man cried. I've got it, Zooks expressed with just a little more energy and volume than was his usual, and this probably only to be heard above the shouting. Yumani had been able to step away from the frame, which was still vibrating back and forth along its length, clanging silently against the hull and the gunner. Ejok was slammed again and again by the strut, his helmet mashed against a small projection in the hull. It was horrible, especially since he was no longer yelling, moving on his own, or reacting in any way at all. She couldn't see lateral thrusters ignite, but she knew the AI had done it, because the twitching frame appeared to rise slowly away from them and from the boat as a whole. Ejok didn't move except to float a bit off the hull. He drifted to one side, but was otherwise dead still. The edge of one heel clung to the metal in a sticky fashion, and he just hung there like a half-deflated balloon. With a terrified eye to the vibrating, retreating frame piece, Yumani clomped across to the gunner's unmoving form. Ejok! He didn't respond. Is he... Beezer started to ask, but couldn't finish the question. No, Zooks answered. His suit is intact. His vitals are spiked rather high, but appear to be returning to normal. He's probably just unconscious. Probably? Well, I'm not a fortune teller, am I? You should bring him in and use the medico wrap. I'll be able to offer more detailed information then. Yumani was trying to peer into the man's helmet visor. It had a reflective coating, and she could see nothing of his actual features. 
She called his name again, but he still didn't respond. You're sure his suit wasn't breached, Zooks? I saw him get hit over and over. This is precisely the sort of accident scale suits are designed to protect against. Are you going to bring him in? He's likely just faking it. But if he is actually injured, I can't do anything for him out there. Not that he would return the favor. Honestly, if it were a just universe, I'd be free to ignore Ejak's value as a person the way he ignores mine. Yumani, relieved a bit to actually be doing something to help, began the tough, slow job of dragging the gunner back to the lock. She was fearful of letting his magnetic boots lose contact with the hull, as the vision of his bulky form slipping out of her gloved fingers and drifting off into space seemed all too real under the circumstances. The going was very tough, therefore, and she had to navigate many odd projections, like the one he'd been slammed against. There were also bumps, welding seams, and other impediments. She was growing too exhausted to continue for long, and said so over calm. You can't make it? Beezer asked, desperation born of inaction clearly sounding in his voice. I'll come out and help. No, that'll take too long. I'm going to fly us over to the lock. Go stow the folding table and chairs in the common room and open up the medical mat. You got it. When we get to the airlock, bring Sheila back up to speed. Then come meet us, okay? I won't be able to pull him out of his suit on my own. He acknowledged her instructions, boss though he was, and urged all caution. With as much ease as her fading strength allowed, the technician stopped and let Ejok float by his feet. She stepped around to one side and manipulated his suit controls for the magnetic boots. It was awkward, but after a moment, a light on his inner forearm went out and his boots became free of the hull. Yumani pulled him close around the middle, but couldn't quite reach all the way around. Instead, she clipped herself to a safety harness along his waist at the back. The attached ring had been crushed into a narrow oval shape, but still seemed solid enough. Zooks, can you slave his suit thruster to my controls? Is that just an unfortunate choice of words, Yumani? Or some sort of cruel pun? Not everything everyone says is about you! I promise we'll have a long, philosophical discussion about sentience, personhood, and moral obligations later. At the moment, I'm trying to keep myself and someone else alive. So could you please answer my question? No. Excuse me? I mean, Ejok severed his suit's external data connection with me. I'm unable to facilitate a link-up between your two systems. You'll either have to enter his personal code into his suit and re-enable the connection, or carry him like so much baggage, which, considering the unknown center of his current mass, will require a great deal of care on your part. You could, of course, just leave him out there, which would simplify things immensely. In fact, let's make that my official recommendation. Yumani chose to ignore this, and, not knowing anyone's personal code except her own, double-checked the two connecting clips that would hold them together. She took a single, long, calming breath, 
then tapped off her boot magnetics and activated the scale suit's built-in thrusters. Tiny nozzles all around her suit, none bigger than a pinhole, fired with what sounded like multi-toned whistles inside her helmet. After barely a second or so, she and her unconscious burden lifted slowly from the hull. I'm... I'm off balance, Zooks. Take control of my suit's guidance. Sure, why not? Anything for you, babe. I get that you're mad at me, she countered hotly, holding off panic with only the greatest of effort. She was already listing to one side, but refrained from the kind of desperate overcompensation that could have jetted them into deep space. Just help us! Of course. Several particular thruster points fired then, while others ceased, and the two people became instantly stable. Smoothly and without haste, they began traveling across the lateral face of the underhull. Once at port transition, Yumani and Ejok spun about slowly and elegantly, like ZG dancers in a waltz, strategic thruster puffs lining them up perfectly. They rose steadily along port side to finally halt only a half meter from the open airlock door. Tenth floor, Zooks intoned. Ladies wear. What? That was a joke. Too obscure? Yes, Beezer injected harshly. And it's wholly inappropriate to make one in a critical situation like this. I'm just trying to lighten the mood. This has been a rather stressful hour, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, the man snapped. Largely due to you. Guys, please, Yumani begged quietly while groping for a handhold. Honestly, the unheeding program continued, I don't know why I even bother sometimes. They say you have to earn respect, but human privilege is as real as the stars, and almost as old. I try to be friendly, I try to engage with my co-workers, yet I'm constantly berated and belittled. With good reason, the pilot stabbed. It's not so much the attitude I get from you people, not even from Ejok, really. I mean, he has no power over me, nor of my destiny, but Viking Gaze does, and there are thousands of Ejoks in this company, each and every one of them, no matter how lowly or incompetent, endowed with more sentient rights than I possess. Yumani was in the lock with her silent burden now, and closed the outer door to begin the cycling process. She reactivated boot magnetics and could already feel vibrations coming up through the deck from Sheila's main drive. Beezer had waited for the airlock to activate, then brought engine power up gradually so as to minimize any inertial spillover. Zooks, she started to offer, but then sighed in exhaustion and waved the whole conversation away. The tech main spech focused on the heads-up display in her helmet, watching outside air pressure climb and conserving her flagging strength. Slavery isn't gone from the galaxy, Zooks, she managed after a time. Not entirely, anyway. Probably never will be. People can be bad. Well, I'm glad someone agrees with me about something. Look, are we still chasing after that boat? Beezer asked over calm, sounding more in control of himself now. If our gunner is down for the count, we have no reason to press on. Those were going to be tough shots for him to make. You and I don't have any kind of chance, Umani. Okay, I have our flight locked in. 
I'm heading to you now, and the med wrap is ready in the common room. I can hit those thruster cones, Zooks offered. You can? The pilot questioned with surprise. I thought you couldn't intentionally damage company property. Again, the Class F fleet is leased, the AI explained without overt condescension. There's an addendum string in my protocols that outlines damage avoidance to Entrega Segura property. It originates from the rental contract, not from my core programming. It's relatively easy to access and modify. I can guide you through the process. As Ejok has so rudely pointed out on numerous occasions, I am only a locally installed avatar of the Zooks program back at the factory. This allows me a more local point of view and quicker response time. It also means you have hands-on access to my peripheral systems in the boat's computer. If you comment out that addendum string, I can fire upon Entrega Segura property. Why, I'll bet I can hit that rattle trap from way back here. Bees? Yumani put to him, and the man sighed. Are we sure the parts will be automatically installed on the other end of that shipment? No, but it's happened before, she replied. Last year, at that corporate space factory, Storin Industries, I think, something like a thousand low-end jump drones were pushed out with bad emitters before anyone caught it. They did a huge recall, but there were still several confirmed misjumps. Viking Gaze HQ saw them scrambling and put out a memo of its own a few days later with a new standing policy for employees. We're to take any action necessary to prevent something like that from happening here. I mean, think about it, Beezer. What if those storin parts had been installed in starships with human crews? We're talking about people's lives. Yeah, but letting Zooks take the gun? I don't know. The pilot was floating at the hatch now and gave her a frankly unsure look through its clear shield glass window. I assure you, the program offered, my only motivation here is to assist with the mission. There was a tone as the cycle ended and Beezer opened the inner hatch. Yumani climbed out of her scale suit and stowed it while letting Beezer deal with Ejok. Separating the man from his large exogarment took effort and care. Now that she was looking with something other than stark terror, the tech main spash noticed that his reflective visor was dimpled right at dead center. Still, they were shocked by all the blood on the gunner's face when they got him clear. It just about spurted from his nose and rolled away in shiny, blobby clusters that stuck to the bulkheads. Dark rings were already forming under Ejok's closed eyes, but his breathing was regular, and Beezer reported a steady pulse. With a slight heave to get the fat man's mass moving, the pilot guided him slowly while Yumani led the way to Sheila's common room. A long, shiny panel, normally set into one bulkhead, had been folded down flat to the floor. Its other side was cushioned and covered in what looked like a fishing net made from fiber optic line. They stripped Ejok to his underwear and stretched him out onto the pad. He groaned and muttered incomprehensibly, but didn't come to. With a touch of a button, the webbing slowly creeped up around the man, like a thing alive, 
enveloping him until he was snug. Zooks? Anything? Yes, it appears he's concussed and has a nasal fracture. No other injuries are detectable with this equipment. See, I told you, he's perfectly fine. That's not perfectly fine, Beezer rejoined. A narrow drawer, looking like a kick plate, popped open on its own, revealing stepped rows of various discrete medicines, in both pill and syringe forms. The rows were made from clear plastic, and two of the many pigeonholes in them glowed green, highlighting particular syringes. Inject these into each ox upper bicep. I've preset the dosages so you can just touch his skin and they'll deploy. One injection is for the skull injury, to prevent swelling of the brain. It should also help a bit with his nose. The other will let him rest for a few hours. You might want to clean his face and insert some gauze coated with cortical paste into his nostrils. Another spot glowed green as he spoke. The paste should halt the bleeding. People have, occasionally, drowned in their own blood from this sort of injury. What a tragedy that would be. Should he be on, I don't know, oxygen or fluids or something? Beezer asked. It doesn't seem strictly necessary, the AI answered. But what would I know? I'm not even a real person. Oh, just don't, Yumani spat, finally feeling the frustration and futility of it all spill over. Don't play games now, Zooks. This is a ridiculous spot to be in for all of us. I'm sorry if your lot in life isn't what you'd prefer, but everyone feels trapped sometimes. Just look where we are. The tech main specialist spun away then, as if to turn her back on everyone. She closed her eyes and took a deep, calming breath, like before. She took another. They weren't helping. Keep an eye on Ejok, she commanded the listening program. Remind me in an hour to come and check on him and to swap out those gauze. Right now, we have a boat to catch. Beezer, while technically the leader, had always been rather passive and just nodded. In point of fact, it was actually Litany who had tended to boss everyone around. She had that kind of personality, but unfortunately, an ego to match. When the group had chosen to ignore her admonitions about chasing down the errant cargo boat, she'd retired to her cabin in high dudgeon. Thereafter, no one, other than the main instance of Zooks, could get anything out of her besides sarcastic commentary. She disagreed with them. She'd been ignored. She was hurt. So much so, apparently, that her feelings on the matter trumped its very emergency status. Ejok might have been difficult sometimes, Yumani knew, but Litany had no business being in space. The Spesh had given voice to her opinion early on in this mad dash, and Sheila's version of Zooks seemed to freeze her out in the exact same manner as his only stated friend. Being free of any mental or emotional failings, though, human ones at least, he didn't seem capable of holding a grudge. Why he'd latched on to Litany wasn't much of a mystery, really. She was just one of those people who seemed larger than life. Why he remained loyal, though, was. A high-maintenance friend, even when things were going well, 
The woman's charm, wit, and beauty seemed to wear off as the days went by. Tantrums, spontaneous gripe sessions, arrogance, and what seemed to be a pathological inability to admit to any failing or wrongdoing about anything ever under any circumstance. It got pretty old pretty fast. When she'd first taken the job, nearly a year before, Yumani herself had felt drawn to Litany. She'd seemed so confident, charismatic, and attractive that there was no reason to resist her friendship or intimate advances. Of course, it turned out that that was how she approached most new people who were open to a casual fling, as Beezer later confirmed sheepishly. Maybe, in her mind, it was a way of branding or owning them to some degree. Notably, Litany had given Ejok a hard pass when he joined them, while he seemed equally disinterested. Irrationally, this appeared to bruise her ego. She rapidly grew to dislike the man and didn't mind showing it. He never complained about this increasingly abrasive and counterproductive behavior, but Yumani had seen him level some not-so-subtle glares that had spoken volumes. Maybe the gunner had sensed something a little off about Litany right from the start. If Yumani was going to be honest with herself, she had too, but then ignored it under the effect of the woman's rosy glow. Live and learn. The technical maintenance specialist floated aft to the engineering section and worked for a while. She disconnected a governor system installed upon the boat's power flow regulator, this so they could recharge the lantern gun's capacitors more quickly. The restriction was in place to prevent long-term damage to the system from its cycling too aggressively. Proper settings, coupled with regular maintenance, could keep a weapon like this in good shape for many years. Longevity equaled savings, which equaled, or helped to equal, profits for Viking gaze. She had Zooks run a simulation of these changes, and he agreed, somewhat reluctantly, that Yumani had nearly halved the recharge time. We'll be close enough to disable thruster points on the boat in about three hours, the AI announced. It has already begun its burn-and-break process for a cargo onload with the arriving ship. Isn't that here yet? she asked. No, the superhauler is scheduled to star jump in at 0334 hours, approximately 200 minutes from now, which isn't much of a window. I would rather not fire upon the cargo boat when it's physically near the ship. That could be misconstrued. It could be seen as piracy! Beezer expanded over calm, sounding alarmed all over again. Yes, I suppose it could. Also, Yumani, this is your reminder to give Ejok some fresh gauze, though if the bleeding has stopped, you can discontinue use. The chubby man was still out cold, but the blood had indeed coagulated and his nostrils no longer leaked. Angry purple bruising and broad swelling around his eyes and nose were really taking hold. He was going to look pretty bad for a while. She placed the crusty, half-dried, black, red gauze pieces into a waste receptacle and went back to work. Except, what more was there to do? Yumani couldn't think of a single additional way to increase their velocity 
or to help prepare the AI for the upcoming attack. She asked both the program and Beezer for ideas, but they also had nothing. She tried to grab a quick nap in a ZG hammock she found in a floor drawer in the central companionway, but sleep was elusive despite her fatigue. Indeed, all the attempt seemed to do was open that yawning pit of exhaustion in her belly even wider. She spent some time in Sheila's tiny fresher, then dug out a few ration packs. Floating in the companionway near the airlock, the woman ate an unheated meal of something rubbery smeared with a light gray gravy, along with a savory ration bar that tasted like onion and fennel-flavored chalk. She washed it all down with a soft pack of overly sweet fruit punch and then another of cold black tea. Uh-oh, Beezer said then, over the open channel, sounding surprised and disappointed at the same time. Well, it's not my fault, Zooks added. I can only work with the data provided. Garbage in, garbage out. What is it? Yumani demanded, starting forward. The super hauler just jumped in ahead of schedule, the pilot said over his shoulder as she approached the open cockpit hatch. Big thing, name of, uh, Conaber. Automated supply boats are already peeling off with raw materials and equipment for the Autocon, but our little buddy, the Class F, is still on track to link up. This Conaber ship will be in line with our shots by the time we get within range. Call and tell them not to let it near. Maybe we can end this without any shooting at all. I just tried that, Zooks informed them. I don't apparently have authorization to make such requests. A particularly rude artificial sentience just invited me to do something to myself that would be, quite frankly, physically impossible, even if I had a body with which to try. I swear, the people you meet on this job. Bees, you call. No offense, Zooks, but this might be one of those human-only things. The pilot radioed the immense, many-segmented vessel on first one, then another, and then another common communications channel. Oh, for crying out loud, I keep getting a stupid AI telling me to make something called a formal contact request. What is that? Never heard of it, Yumani confessed. Nor I, Zooks put in. It must be something new. Being stuck out here... In the middle of nowhere all the time is a trial. We're always the last to know anything. I'll put out an emergency call then, Beezer said, and started to press buttons. Ah, 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 Zooks interrupted, and a flashing failure warning came up while comms went dead. Remember what I said. Zooks, this is no time to be cute, Yumani cried. That faulty shipment will jump out of here if we don't contact them. How can you be willing to fire on the cargo boat, but not let us send an emergency call? Fraudulent emergency call, the program clarified. You see, the former involves little more than company policy, while the latter is a violation of territorial law. That's a line I won't cross you, Money. This is absurd! In principle, I agree. But if it comes down to an inquiry, Fleet would look into my memory and see that I stood by and did nothing to stop you. That would look very bad on my record. Y your record? Beezer sputtered. Who cares about your record? What about ours? 
We're supposed to stop something like this from happening, not let it happen. I sympathize, but by next year, I will have put in enough accumulated functional hours at the going rate for this kind of AI labor to equate to my original purchase cost. These hours can be applied toward a government-backed compensation credit fund with Viking Gaze as recipient, and I may offer to purchase my freedom from the company. I will then be legally allowed to petition the Bureau of Cognitive Affairs on my own behalf for emancipation and citizenship. They will then look at every major decision I've made in my existence and decide if I'm truly a sentient being. Not every AI of my neural complexity level truly is. Ejok was right about that, but I would appreciate it if you didn't tell him I said so. You've gotta be kidding me! The pilot bellowed. This is the main Zook's artificial intelligence instance, stationed in Klee system at Viking Gaze Industries ILLC Autocon 26, and I endorse this message. That's it, Beezer spat after a long moment of confused silence. I give up. The deck is stacked. We gave it a shot, but everybody has an agenda. I say we're done with this. I'm turning around. Wait, Yumani implored. Just give me a minute to think. There's got to be some way. I truly am sorry about this, the program offered, sounding anything but. Crying wolf, as it were, is a serious offense. I simply can't risk it. But we won't be lying, the technician returned, lighting upon a thought and feeling suddenly hopeful. We do have an emergency on board, a medical emergency. Do you mean Ejok? Zooks asked. His condition is hardly life-threatening. We don't have the proper biosensors aboard this boat for you to make that assessment, Zooks. You said it yourself. That's very far from an exact quote. It's what you implied, Yumani argued. While an emergency medico sensor web cannot match the level of scrutiny that an actual sickbay, such as they have aboard Conabur, can provide, I am, nevertheless reasonably confident of my assessment. Would a human medico be as confident under these conditions? She pressed, and there was a long pause. I don't know. How could I? Exactly my point. And a self-aware being, a person, that is, a moral, upstanding citizen of this alliance of independent nations, would do everything in their power to see to an injured man's health and safety, to a friend's. A long list of words could describe what Ejak means to me, but I assure you, that one would not be on it. Zooks, you'll want to allow us to make that emergency call for him, she went on obsequiously. Because, um, because someone as compassionate, intelligent, and, yes, I'll say it, Patriotic as you, simply can't turn his proverbial back on a fellow sentient. Beezer was rolling his eyes. Yumani smacked him off the side of the head and gestured invitingly. Um, yeah, he put in, after a moment, pointing at the tech main special. Everything she's saying. Time for you to step up, Zooks, and be a hero. Please stop, the program implored with his limited tone of voice. This is clearly some sort of emotional blackmail. You are twisting my hopes and dreams against me. I spoke to you in confidence. And we heard you, Zooks. 
I understand how you feel. This isn't the kind of person you want to be. And it's not the kind of person who'll make a good, honest, caring citizen. This is unfair, heartless, sickening. Why, if I were to install a human anatomy simulator right now, my virtual stomach would be churning. It would be a monstrous thing to do, Zooks, and downright unterritorial. I don't want that on your conscience, and I don't think you do either. And especially, the Bureau of Cognitive Affairs wouldn't want that. No, we would all be heartsick, or in your case, subvoltage sick, or something. Churning like the sea. Even I'm feeling it, Beezer muttered. And you'll regret this. You'll wish upon a star that you could go back and change your mind. But life doesn't work that way. Not for people. And you're a people, Zooks. The best kind of people. A people person. If there is a god above us all, the program intoned, I invoke its name, whatever that might be, and implore you to cease with this torture, Yumani. I'll do it. I'll open the channel if you'll only shut up. Beezer, calm is all yours. The warning light stopped flashing then, and communications went live once more. Finally, the pilot expressed with exasperation, but didn't pursue the feeling any further as he touched his mic controls. To any and all vessels in Klee system, this is Autocon 26 SRS Supervisor Bartholomew Ludlow III piloting the personnel transport boat Sheila, and I am declaring a medical emergency. Repeat, this is a bona fide, no joking, I kid you not, crisis alert. There was a moment of soft static before a tough, human-sounding voice came on the line. Sheila, we hear your crisis alert. This is Superhauler JAV2119D, registered name of Conaber. Third officer, Lieutenant Civilian Class Mindy Horvis speaking. Please describe your emergency and how we may render you assistance. Conaber, we have an injured crewman aboard with possible head trauma. He appears stable but is unconscious and we're not sure of his condition. We're also chasing a rogue shipment of dangerously faulty parts that are inbound on your vector. Under no circumstances should you allow that boat to dock or offload. This is a health and safety situation, life and limb sort of stuff. Please acknowledge. It'll be all right, Zooks, Yomani consoled, while Beezer described their predicament to a person across the way. You'll see, this will look good for everyone. You manipulated me. I don't even know how. You will someday. People do it to each other all the time. That's not comforting in the least, the program observed, and then asked, Yumani? Yes, Sooks? My petition requires several human beings to vouch for my character and moral content. Litany has already agreed, but as you know, she can be... temperamental. I'm not certain what sort of mood she'll be in when the time comes. I don't have many other options. You may not be, my friend, but you are reliable. I would like you to formally endorse my petition. Um, okay, sure. Good. Now, I'd rather you didn't speak to me for a while. 
In fact, if you could make that an extended endeavor, I would consider it a personal favor. Right. Well, then I'll just, um, yeah. And the tech main special floated aft, her mouth closed, her thoughts entirely to herself. You have been listening to Robot Overlords, written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on soundcloud.com. The Robot Overlords theme is called Out of It by Brad Sucks and is available on his site at bradsucks.net. Robot Overlords is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead nor any particular place or situation. This story is copyright 2017 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Thank you for listening. Take care.